Cinema. An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish night when an evil force is accidentally awakened. Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker. Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. Let a rough day at work. Santa got murdered. Their mission to mate with a virgin and conquer the world as a pint-sized master race. Saving it for someone special. Dan Haggerty stars as Mike McGavin, an ex-detective working on hard times. First you Santa, then you die. She is the most important person on Earth. From her will grow the new order. Santa must expose this unholy force before the elves destroy Christmas. Jesus Christ. stuck in a house with no heat and no electricity or food there's plenty of leftovers howard beer it is it's the weirdest thing there's no cars no people how long can this keep up we heard something on the roof what the hell is this Welcome to Trash Cinema, your ho-ho-ho edition, where we watch 
uh, I don't know, maybe shitty movies. It's kind of what we do around Christmas. Good, shitty, sometimes just shitty, shitty. Uh, but uh, I'm your host, Michael. Kersey's on the other side. Um, Yo, what up? I, uh, I'm going to apologize for suggesting elves. There's Silent Night, Deadly Night. There's, uh, there's at least a handful of other Christmas movies out there that uh, I don't know why I thought this would be a good idea. When I watched it the first time, it was such a strange, like, it was lame as hell, but there's such a mind-boggling, weird plot to it that I was like, oh, i got to discuss this. But I'm sure there's been some, yeah. pain, some pain. Yeah, the plot is is one of the most absurd things I think I've ever seen in any movie. All right, so I've seen this twice. Uh, this is a movie that I actually saw on the shelves when it was a new release. I remember looking at it going, oh, this is like a Gremlins ripoff. Kind of, but not. It's more of a Ghoulies ripoff if you've ever seen Ghoulies. But um, this is a giant piece of shit that I eventually found about... 20 years later, uh, as VHS was starting to disappear, and I grabbed it to, just to rent. Um, but uh, it was terrible, but it, just something about it stuck in my head, so I figured we'd discuss it here. Definitely. This is such a weird movie that, ha- that has so many avenues that it travels down. It never really knows what it wants to be, so it just kind of shoots for everything. Yeah, it, the plot, I, I've seen this twice now, and I still... Okay, so... And if I steer off the road, just grab the wheel and bring me back on because I, I'm gonna. It's gonna get rough. Um, All right. We got story A, which is about these group of teenagers who do like some sort of weird Wiccan worship thing where they're trying to be like anti-Christmas, no, it, right? They are the anti-Christmas society. Okay. But but they end up uh, awakening these elves, which are basically like demons, right? Are there there Hitler's creatures? Fuck this movie! I already, yeah. I already drove off the road. I'm, I'm in a ditch. I'm passed right. out. <laughs> let me, let me try. Let me try. Okay. So, uh, the this coven of uh, women who are like wannabe Wiccans of the anti-Christmas society, and decide to do a ritual using her German father's old uh, book, I guess that she found, and tried to summon some kind of demons as I guess a joke, but she smashes her hand on a glass candle holder and bleeds into the ground, which unleashes the elves, which are Nazi magic experiments. I think I think I got it. So why are they called elves? They have nothing to do with Santa, just because it's an easy-to-sell title. Okay, that's, yeah, A, that's A, and also B, there's only one elf that I can recall. I the think it's just one, right? It's a, it's a really shitty puppet, too. It's, it's, um... So you look at your level of those creatures back then, you got your A-list, you got your gremlins, you got your B-list, you got critters, then ghoulies, where basically it's barely articulated puppets. Then you go past D, E, F, you're down in this with this one. This is literally just a head that shakes with its mouth open the whole time. That's the worst fucking puppet I've ever seen. It never closes its mouth, and it never does anything other than just walk around awkwardly. It doesn't turn its neck. Yeah. Well, have you seen Hobgoblins? I have not seen Hobgoblins. Oh, fuck. Oh, you got to see Hobgoblins. It makes uh, that look like a masterpiece in, in comparison. All right. So let's let's try to continue with the story. So oh, yeah. I guess, okay, so we have the A, B, and C story, I guess, which we just laid out. And then there's also the story of the detective who I guess, a detective who maybe quit his job and then became a bum and is now <laughs> looking for a job and gets a job as a mall Santa Claus. Dan Haggerty, Mr. Grizzly Adams yeah. himself, who I, for some inexplicable reason, made movies for like 30 years off this one minor hit. It's crazy. Well, he has very sympathetic eyes, is all, all I can say about his acting. Yeah. Yes, I never, I never looked deeply into his eyes, Kersey. 
<laughs> Sorry, I was transfixed when I was watching his initial plea for a job. <laughs> no, he's the only one in this that's like a legitimate actor. I mean, he did have a TV show on ABC for like three or something like that. So he's a legitimate actor. Um, the rest of them clearly like this was shot in like Michigan or something. And like this was good. Grab the local theater actors. Hello? Yeah. Oh, I think you dropped for a second. You oh. just were stunned into silence, not knowing what to say. Oh, sorry. No, I was just saying, like, everybody else in this is uh, clearly, like, local theater actors. Mm -hmm. If you can even call it that. There, okay, so let's try let, – we'll, I guess we'll try to plow forward, but there's just so much. Okay, so basically the mall Santa Claus, uh, the original one, uh, was a pervert and was trying to molest kids or something. I remember that one kid asked for an NES, and he said to look in the basement. Yeah, that's there was weird. a sale. I thought I thought he was trying to molest him. No, I'm pretty sure but this I is guess, back I when like not. department stores were like multi-floor. So I'm sure he was just saying like the electronic section is downstairs. Okay, well the way he's saying basement was just creepy. And then uh, a girl sat on his lap who was I don't know 17, 18, and he. It, she, what did she ask for? Snow? And then he said, "Suck Santa's dick" or something. Whoa! I missed that part. You did? Yeah. Oh my God. Was it Roy Moore? Was he playing Santa? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it was creepy. Yeah, he he like was whispering really creepy stuff to her. That's the least but, creepy uh, thing in this movie. That's the thing about this film. It's it's so fucked up. There's literally a scene in this, like somewhere around this time, where this little kid, he's like eight, and he's watching his sister in the shower, and she freaks out, and he's like, "I'm gonna tell everybody oh. at school you got big fucking tits." He says this. <laughs> He was, yeah, he looked because he said, I want to see boobs, I don't care, and I'm going to tell everybody. And it just, like, continues, and he's just, like, a rampant monster. Then you're supposed to feel sympathy for him later when there's, like, an elf on top of him for some weird reason. And uh, you're like, oh, we're supposed to, no, I want, that, I want the elf to kill that kid. I've never wanted that before, but that kid's a rotten monster. Yeah, what I mean, they, they try to, and even at the end of the movie where they try to make you feel like, oh, he might not make it. Wouldn't that be horrible? No, it wouldn't. Let him die. Yeah, yeah. And pretty much everybody in this is a monster except for, like, the sheriff and the girl. Like, it's another one of those rules, like, the, the Friday the 13th rules is make everybody completely, like, useless and just kill them all. Yeah, what? Why was everyone a dick to this girl? What did she do to anybody? I have no idea. Maybe they all knew? They all like, knew the creepy secret we're going to learn later? <laughs> I don't know. Literally everyone in this movie who comes across the, the main girl in this movie is a complete and utter dick to me. Even, even Grizzly Adams himself, who was trying to be nice, comes off like an asshole. Like, remember when they first met and she was sad because her cat died, or it was missing at that point, but her cat was missing and she didn't sleep, and he's like, hey, I didn't sleep much last night either, so, you know, get over it, yeah. basically. Yeah, you know what's funny is I forgot that, I, for some reason I thought the entire movie was set in the mall. Somehow over the last 10 years, I completely forgot that, that was just a small segment. But that's probably the most entertaining part. Not the craziest part, though. When, it gets, when, it, when they leave the mall uh, part of the story, it goes bananas. Like, you start understanding what this elf is and what the conspiracy is. And you're just like, I'm sorry, what? No, no, hold on. Rewind, rewind, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we have to mention that the, so the mall store Santa Claus was stabbed in the dick to death, I guess, by the elf. Yeah. For whatever reason, uses utensils to kill people, and they left the chalk body in the fucking in his room where the other guy was staying. Oh. So the guy was staying in a room with the with the dead outline. Oh boy, wonderful, wonderful! <laughs> what a, a great yeah. Christmas movie. <laughs> it's weird, man. Like 
there's something beautiful about watching bad directors and writers because you kind of see a glimpse of their worldview and like what they think reality looks like. Yeah. And it's just, it's very interesting. Like the room is of course a great example. Oh, anything by Ed Wood is a very particular vision who was very forward thinking. A lot of these legendary directors, um, really have no vision, but then the ones that become like legendary are the ones like, even if it's a screwed up vision, like you bull, uh, you get where he's coming from. You're like, oh, that's stupid, but I get it. You know, there's so many of these directors out there that have nothing to say. And apparently the writer-director of this had something, like a lot of shit to unpack. And uh, he's getting it all out in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I, God, there's so much to go. Okay, so the detective is, uh, you know, kind of thrown into the case because he's sort of in the middle of all of the shit. And so he does some routine checking by going to a library, which is open at like midnight for some reason. And there's somebody else in there reading books. And someone has torn out a page of an occult of a random occult book with the symbol that he's trying to find. And I don't understand why. And then someone shushes him in the library at midnight. I didn't understand what else. Yeah. And even in your biggest cities, the library is not going to be open. Hell, at halftime, they're closed on Sundays. You know, the porn shop. I think this was Dana Gould's joke. He goes, the library is open for four hours a week, but the porn shop's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, exactly. I was actually thinking, it's a small tangent, but I was actually thinking about that the other day. Like, if aliens came down and just looked at media consumption and entertainment consumption in terms of pure viewership and dollar amount, they would think that our entire entertainment industry or our, our goal of entertainment is pornography. That gets the most views and the most money. Well, yeah, anytime there's a new technology, the only reason it takes off is because it's connection to porn. Look at any of the game systems, like a Blu-ray and DVD, you know, a VHS. It wouldn't have taken off so much if porn hadn't been on it. The internet yeah, anyway. alone, you know, streaming <laughs> videos. Why we have Netflix is because someone wanted to watch porn on their computer instead of going to the store. All right, anyway, so where are we at now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking number at... 753. I want to say this real quick. Uh, the director of this directed one other movie called Cyber Chick, which we're going to have to find. Okay. That sounds good. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't so, know where we're at the plot right now. Okay. So, Detective is trying to look into the case, and uh, find, and we find out that Nazis are in control of the elves, I guess, and the, her, the lady's grandpa is somehow involved into it, uh, which we'll get into... I guess we'll let's just get into that now. Let's just get into the weird thing that um, this lady's grandpa is also her dad. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, it was so unnecessary and weird. Oh uh, yeah, and of course, you know that the, the mother. I forgot about this. The mother is absolutely batshit crazy, and she drowned that girl's cat in the toilet, which is messed. Yeah, up. You, you. That was probably the like say what you will about how you know kind of crummy the effects are in this movie and. I know that the cat was just in a bag and it wasn't actually a cat, but that actually like hit hit me, <laughs> you know, like as much as like the weird shit and the elf stabbing people in the dick, like the the cat drowning was probably the worst part for me. Yeah, and it, it's uh, I don't know. I, of course, anything with animal violence bothers me to no end, but it's just like she she hated that cat for no reason whatsoever. Like, oh, it's a the Satan's cat or something. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know why I went to Jimmy Stewart there. Jimmy Stewart, that's a Satan cat. Well, I guess they tried to explain it all the way with the fact that uh, their grandfather is the father, is you know, her father, and that he was an insane Nazi that had sex 
with his daughter to try to create a master race. You know uh, that's girl. not how it works. No one as high functioning and as pretty as she is comes from that. You, it's going to be hills have eyes. It's science has shown this. You're not going to have what you have in this movie. You're going to have some sort of drooling freak show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just it's it's Nazi magic. Uh, yeah, it's Nazi magic. That's all you need to know. Okay, so he did this so he got the perfect daughters to what have sex with the elves so they could bring upon apocalypse. Yes, I suppose I don't know how that relates, but yeah, you have sex with uh, the perfect Aryan child with a magic elf and it creates Satan. I guess that's the most insane shit ever. This guy must have had some serious trauma in his childhood that he was working out because nobody comes up with this kind of thing like. Um, did the elves have dicks? I mean, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure I saw the elf complete body or whatever, and I didn't see no elf dick. Is it elf magic dick? It might just, it might, it might be like a dog dick or something, it just kind of rolls out. Oh, yeah, that or, but you know, I, I, why am I even going into this? Um, yeah, this is a bonkers ass movie. It, normally these movies I would just ignore because they're just flat out terrible, but it's such a, a head scratcher of a plot. You're just like, no, you really have to dig into this one. Got it. And not to mention, I love the description that the kid gives of the elf. Do you remember that? Where he's like, well, it was like a two-foot ninja or a goblin. Oh, Those were his right. two I options of what it could possibly so be. <laughs> yeah, this movie is batshit insane, but I, I kind of like it. I, I probably wouldn't watch it again, but I would definitely recommend watching it at least once. I wish it had just a little bit bigger budget just so that the elf... Actually, everything feels like it's bare bones, which is probably because it's such a crazy idea that nobody would fund it. Um, but I wish there was just a little bit more money in it for better special effects, but then it, it would also take away the kitsch value. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this one, uh, this is when Christmas movies were starting to turn, where they weren't just goody-goody, two-shoe, boring bullshit. You know, this is when we started getting Christmas Vacation and Ernie, Ernest Scared Stupid, which at the end of Ernest Scared Stupid, there's a kind of um, a joke about horror movies set at Christmas where he's going to film something called Christmas Slay, but doesn't understand how Slay is spelt. And it's just like a, this giant creature comes out and starts tearing people apart. And I was like, that's in a kid's movie? This is weird. Yeah, Ernest was before my time, man. Uh, I, I I was born, I guess, after the whole, you know, er, Ernest mania died down or whatever. But I don't get the appeal. How was he such a huge hit? Didn't he start out as like a commercial? He did. And the first three movies are actually pretty good. Um and then after that, they just became full-on kids' movies. The first three kind of have a weird subversive humor into it. Um, and, and there's kind of a do-it-yourself. Disney released them, but they are the ones who paid for it. So they would just do it from the commercial money they made. So there's kind of respectability because it was just a DIY kind of film. But I always saw Ernest as not a moron, but as a guy who's kind of trapped in his own head. Like he just gets overwhelmed with ideas, and therefore he just becomes clumsy. He, he makes the wrong decision. He's kind of like an idiot savant at times because he says these things. He goes on these weird rants that are so intelligent. You're like, what? But then he just like trips over his own feet and destroys everything that he just did. But then in part uh, four, they just turned into a dipshit and I was done. It's kind of like a low rent Pee Wee Herman. It is. Pee Wee Herman was much more creative and eccentric. It was always Ernest versus Pee Wee as a kid. Um, Usually the weird kids were always like Pee Wee and then the, the normal like, the you know, oh, I play baseball, I love Chuck Norris, uh, I love Ernest, you know, that kind of mentality. Um, we're off on a tangent here, but uh, Christmas movies is when they when they started going horror was uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. There was like six of those. And then there was Elves 
and uh, slowly you've been seeing more and more Christmas horror movies in like the last 10 years. So it's kind of like the revival. There's a Silent Night remake, which is actually not that bad. There was, um, shit, what was it? Black one? Christmas remake. What was that? Black Christmas, and there was a remake in like 2006, I think. Right, and uh, I know people who love that one. I didn't really care for that, but yeah, it's kind of that start, you know, that revival of horror at Christmas. And I think it kind of peaks with the next movie we're going to talk about, The Krampus. And The Krampus is kind of confusing because I feel like there's a lot of Krampus movies out there, most of them direct-to-video shit. Mm-hmm. And I know Kevin Smith was going to make one, but then he ended up taking half that script and turning it into uh, Moose Jaws, which still hasn't been made. Um, but the full-on official big budget for horror uh, version is Legendary Pictures and uh, I think Universal. They got together to do Mike Doherty's Krampus. Which I think it's a great movie. Not as good as his previous film, Trick or Treat, but I think it's still pretty good. Yeah, Trick or Treat is excellent. Um, definitely check out Trick or Treat if we haven't. I don't think we've done that one yet, have we? No, we haven't. There's two Trick or Treats. Actually, there's three Trick or Treats now I think about it. There's one from 82. Um, I think it's a slasher film. There's one in 86 where a heavy metal rock singer dies in a fire, but he finds a way to come back because this lost tape was played backwards, and he's revived, so he's like a Freddy Krueger kind of villain. And he like jumps through speakers and headsets and like electrocutes your brain and cuts you up. It's actually pretty good. What the fuck? It, yeah, it's on YouTube, I think. I'll, I'll try to get you a link for it. It's a crazy movie. Okay. And um, what else what are we talking about? Oh, Krampus. Uh, so I think right, yeah. <laughs> what, what I like about the Krampus is you spend like a half hour getting to know these people, getting to know their story, uh, so that when it all goes down, you care about the characters. You have to be patient, though. At least the first half hour is not boring. It sets it up like a real Christmas movie, like, you know, like something that you would see on, like, Hallmark Channel or something. And then it just slowly takes that turn and digs deeper and deeper until it's like this crazy nightmare world. Yeah, I definitely uh, enjoyed that because I saw this in theaters when it first came out. And I, I, I did, I love the first half hour of the movie, Act 1, basically. Um, because, yeah, it basically does follow the, the this very similar structure to most Christmas movies. And it did have some heartfelt moments they weren't exactly they don't exactly work necessarily but at least it had this earnesty to it and it felt authentic and you can to- and you can clearly see yourself in that situation and you probably have family members kind of like the ones they have and it kind of tries to make it a little more realistic instead of the whole bullshit of like oh we need to respect our family kind of thing where there actually are very engaging arguments that they have with each other that are very personal yeah you know, I, the movie feels like a, kind of a, an homage to other films. Like, the first half hour feels like that first half hour of Dust Till Dawn, and then it turns. Um, also feels a little bit like a Joe Dante film, like with Gremlins. And, um, and then the last half hour is like this big, gothic, like legend, almost like legend. I don't know if you've ever seen Ridley Scott's Legend. It just feels like an amalgam of different ideas, but it gels very well. Mm-hmm. And I've, I read Letter Media as a YouTube channel. I don't know if you've seen any of their stuff, but they uh, did a thing about this movie too. I don't want to. Ta- I don't want to repeat any of their talking points too much, but they mentioned something that I think is important to mention. But the sound design in this movie is top notch. Oh, and like the production they, you know, design. The, the sound of yes, the sound of the snowfall, the the sudden silences when Krampus is around. Like you can hear him jumping from rooftop to rooftop, and it's like the. The, the sound is crisp, and it just it's, it really immerses you. Yeah, I just think it's one of those movies that, for $15 million, is astonishing in how good it looks. I mean, the, the cinematography is great, the lighting, the, the set design, the costume design. The creatures 
um, are so unique. I've never seen anything quite like it. Well, I mean, yeah, like the the, the snake jack-in-the-box creature is definitely the coolest of them. And, and that also reminds me is that the movie's also, like, um, unpredictable with who's going to die, when. It's kind of like The Blob or other movies that, like, you know, it's usually predictable. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? And this is like, no, you know, like, oh, nobody's safe. We're going to take out anybody at any time. Mm-hmm. And that, and that was, and that's also a thing that a lot of horror movies try to do. But this one, I feel as though it accomplishes where they try to set up, you know, characters that you want to die and then kill them as a, as a way to like satisfy the audiences. But in this one, there are a lot of redeeming moments from each character. That kind of justifies them still being there. This is one of those horror movies where everybody was talking about it before um, it came out. Like they had seen it at some festivals and critics loved it. And uh, I would get a 50-50 shot. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. And I've asked, like, what did you like about what didn't you like about it? Some people thought that, like, the humor was too far this direction. Then the terror was too far this direction. It didn't gel. Um, Some people hated the ending. I know a lot of people hated that ending. Hmm, Interesting. I actually like the ending. Yeah. I don't particularly like the part... Uh, where the kid confronts Krampus, because that's kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy the sort of, uh, the, the ending to it was really creepy and daunting. And, uh, and again, a lot of movies try to do that, where they do the twist at the end, where it's like, oh, it's not really over. But they don't really do a very good job of it. They kind of, um, it's kind of like when Freddy Krueger pulled uh, the, the, uh, the, the lady's mom through the window. Yeah. And it looks really stupid. It was. They usually it usually ends like that, but this one kept it really quiet. And it was really subtle and in, in its horror. Yeah, and I, I really like that about it. Well, it, it left uh, it. It left it not like not like exciting, thrilling ending to sort of like create a jump scare out of you. It made it really slow and uh, more of like the thought of it is creepy. Yeah, most of those uh, scare tags at the end are usually like oh. Put in afterwards, like the director uh, was like, I'm done with this fo- this film. And the studio's like, uh, let's just throw one more scare in there. What can you do for us? I'm like, seriously? Shit. All right, I'll go back and shoot a day. And it never really fits well. And sometimes it's completely without any logic. There's a movie called Deadly Friend um, by Wes Craven that has a, a, an end tag that makes no sense whatsoever. And um, Deadly this Friend, one, is that the one where the, it was like a robot yeah. uh, little girl that I didn't think killed that woman it. with the ball? Boo-boo, that was my impression. It was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. I don't remember that part. Um, uh, I just remember the the little girl killing that lady with the ball. Yeah, her I head exploding in gore. <laughs> uh, Krampus has like an ending that feels kind of like a Tales from the Crypt end or something from like mm-hmm. the old creepy horror magazines where it had like this sense of not really irony but kind of like this opposite of what you expect, slow um, in, impending doom kind of idea. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of like the ending of Jeepers Creepers in a lot of ways. So basically, they're caught in that globe forever in like their own little tiny limbo hell thing where they're repeating that day over and over, but they're together, correct? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of bittersweet because the moment is nice, but they kind of realize that it's not real, and yeah. they just live that forever. So why does a Krampus exactly punish them? Is it because they were so poorly behaved on Christmas that that's his punishment no matter how much you beg for redemption? Yeah, I guess so. It's it's more of a story about, you know, be appreciative of what you have, I guess, but just taking it to the nth degree. So Oma was completely innocent in all this, so I'm confused as to why she was punished. Yeah, that was sad to me. I was like, just leave her alone, man. She didn't do shit. And the little boy, did he do anything wrong? Or it's because he confronted the Krampus is why he got punished? 
No, and he's the one who wrote the letter to Krampus in the first place. Oh. And he likes to keep he likes to keep those ones alive so they know, you know, like like they can, you know, keep that memory forever. But I guess yeah, you're right because he confronted him, he took him too, or maybe because he realized the error of his ways and he's like, all right, you get punished now. So yeah, that doesn't really make sense. But considering how a lot of horror movies just don't have these layers in them, I truly appreciate what he was doing, and I, I'm really excited the fact that he's taking over Godzilla. But I still say every Godzilla movie should be about 45 minutes long and only about the destruction because I don't give a shit about any of those characters. So hopefully he can do that right, like make characters that make you want to watch the first half. Yeah, that, um, maybe we'll talk about Godzilla another one. But I saw the, the recent one, uh, I guess that was a few years ago now. I, I, I thought it was okay, but yeah, I, I feel like it should have been split in half. Yeah, big monster movies are kind of boring sometimes because you, all you really want to do is see the mayhem. You don't really, they rarely ever have good characters. That they're so pretentious, like uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. It's just so overlong and pretentious. Mm -hmm. Like, ugh, move on. Yeah. Well, all right, so we talked about these two. Would you, I mean, would you recommend this movie? Oh, Krampus, yes. definitely. Definitely, not elves. Fuck no. Unless you want a head scratcher. Yeah, I would say watch elves maybe once or at least just half of it and see how you feel about it. And then definitely Krampus. Uh, but what 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 is your favorite uh, Christmas movie? One that you recommend? Uh, horror Christmas or just Christmas Christmas? Just Christmas Christmas. Um. Well, for the longest time, of course, it was Christmas Story or Christmas Vacation. Those are kind of like the obvious go tos. I love Bad Santa. I still haven't seen Bad Santa too. I'm a little afraid it's gonna suck. Um. I, I saw it. I saw it actually. It was okay. Oh, and, okay. And not as good as the not as good as the first, but pretty funny. I think most Christmas movies are god-awful pieces of shit because it's about the worst people on the planet fighting on the holidays. Like, it just seems like every couple years one of these movies comes out. There is one movie, and it's not even a Christmas movie, but I watch it every single Christmas because there's a small chunk of it that's at Christmas, and I discovered it on Christmas back in, like, 1989. Uh, it's called Better Off Dead with John Cuse. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And, of course, Gremlins. Die Hard? Lethal Weapon? I don't know. Uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. I love Long Kiss Goodnight. It's... But I is that Christmas or New Year's Eve? I can't remember now. I think it's Christmas. I, I think that's New Year's Eve. Okay. Uh, my my favorite by far is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, thank you. I was about to say because his whole Shane Black's whole thing seems to be connected to Christmas. Very strange. Yep, everything is Christmas. Even he even took Iron Man and made it Christmas. Yeah, I thought that was strange. The only thing I know that he wrote that wasn't Christmas connected was Monster Squad, but he only co-wrote that. He, I don't think the other guys was Christmas, was it? Yeah, yeah, the nice guys. Yeah, the nice guys. That's yeah, it's set at Christmas. Oh, okay. It's California, so you can hardly tell. That's right, that's right. Yeah, that was a whole plot point about the smog. Yeah, and now apparently Christmas is going to be engulfed in flames for Los Angeles. Horrifying. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the latest is on that, but it's yeah. it's it's bad. All right, I think we've uh, filled enough. <laughs> I don't know water too off off the ranch. Um, I hate it when I repeat a word. I said too off off. Um, mm -hmm. That's strange. All right, everybody, so check us out on Facebook under Video Night. You'll find all our episodes there. And uh, what do you think about doing next time? Oh, man, I, got, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. What was the one that you suggested that sounded good? Uh, you mean like 10 minutes ago, Cyber Chick? Yes. I want to see if I can find that. If not, we'll find. let's find some robot movies. There's a bunch of fucking – there's a tight, terrible robot cyborg uh, you know, movies out there. We have Cyber Chicks out there. Ooh, I put in Cyber Chick, but I got Cyber Chick Sex Doll. All right. That's not what I wanted. Uh, there's always, there's always the short circuit movies. Those are awful. Oh, wow. I keep I keep putting in Cyber Chick and I keep getting porn. All right. So I'll, I'll look around for this movie. But well, there's one called Rotor, 
which is a cheap RoboCop ripoff. Um, oh, God. Yeah, there's a bunch of them out there. We'll, we'll do something. You pick a robot movie, and I'll pick a robot movie. All right, sounds good. All right, next time, everybody, have a good night. <laughs> Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Trash Cinema. This episode will be discussing a couple films from Toby Hooper, who sadly passed away recently. But first, a couple trailers. If you were one of the millions of moviegoers who were electrified by the unbearable suspense and sheer terror of Jaws, get ready for Eaten Alive. <laughs> Created by Toby Hooper, maker of the screen sensation, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Marty Rushton presents a new horror classic, Eaten Alive. Into this house of terror comes a handful of unsuspecting innocents. Hello? What happens to these people in Eaten Alive will give you the most chilling, terrifying 90 minutes you ever spent in a theater. presents Eaten Alive, Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones, Stuart Whitman, Neville Brand. Get ready for Eaten Alive, a new horror classic. Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Chainsaw Massacre 2. The Buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. So, to, uh, Toby Hooper has passed. We've lost also George Romero. We did an episode last week about George Romero. This week we're going to do a little discussion about a couple of Toby Hooper movies. But I gotta tell you, there's a big bag there of films we could have chosen. But uh, my co-host, Kersey. Say hello, Kersey. Hey, what's going on? Uh, we have parted down to two. 
there's going to be a sequel to this episode for Video Night where we discuss four other films. Uh, we want to pick two that were like really weird, trashy, like strictly like drive-in kind of movies. And I think the the two that we picked were pretty good. There's others. Yeah, with Toby Hooper, there's a metric shit ton of uh, you know bad horror movies. Yeah, there's a there's that brief period where he was an A-lister. And I've heard rumors that, you know, he got removed from Poltergeist because it wasn't going the way Spielberg wanted, so he stepped in and finished it. But then he signed a huge deal. Now, have you seen the movies he made for canon besides Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? I don't think I did. I only saw pretty much the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, this one, and his latest, his last movie, Jin. And uh, that was just god-awful. <laughs> Uh, there's Life Force, which is about space vampires, which was insanely expensive at the time and nearly destroyed canon films. Um, have you seen that one? Because they can't show that on TV because the uh, the villainous is nude the entire movie. I have not heard of that, but I am very interested now. <laughs> As you should be. Uh, he remade Invasors from Space, and uh, that was also a huge flop. And, and after that, it was just kind of done. Everything he did after that was either barely released or direct-to-video, and there is some shit in there. Crocodile is definitely his worst moment. Croc- is this Eaten Alive Crocodile, or is this another Crocodile movie? It's, it's another one, and it's. Um, I didn't realize that the late 90s sucked as much as they did until I watched this movie. And I'm like, fuck, everybody in this movie looks like they were in Sugar Ray. I mean, just dyed blonde frosted tips and all. What's up, bro? Oh, man, there's a crocodile coming. We should probably go. And just as a side note to anyone who is an aspiring filmmaker, the crocodiles and alligators are not interesting or scary. Stop making movies about them. Yeah. They've never been good. There's two watchable ones, Lake Placid and Alligator, and they're only watchable. They are not good. I only saw Lake Placid 3, so I have no idea. <laughs> Why would you start with part 3? <laughs> it was one of those like late night sci-fi gotcha. uh, binges. Uh, so we're going to go back. Right after Texas Chainsaw Massacre broke Toby Hooper out, he did another Grindhouse movie before you would say he went legit. And it was called Eaten Alive. This is a fucking insane movie. And the reason we talked about it earlier was because it also, its main focus is on this crazy son of a bitch who has an alligator, runs a hotel, and likes to feed his guests to the alligator. Not a lot of plot. It's madness, though. I felt like everybody was doing drugs. I, especially the father of that family, I don't know what the fuck was going on. Maybe I passed out for like <laughs> a half second and they set up something like he had dementia or something, but like something was wrong with him and I don't know if it was written that way. You know, I, the, the father is played by William Finley, who I've only ever seen in one other movie called Phantom of the Paradise by Brian De Palma. Have you seen this movie? No, but he was in Black Dahlia in, I think, 2013. Was he? Wow, he must have been a lot older. But um, the uh, the Phantom of the Paradise is another weirdo movie, and William Finley is just straight up nuts in that film. And you see it here, but somehow he found a way to crank it up even higher. I don't know what's going on particularly, like the overall view of what the director wanted. It just feels like you are watching an insane asylum put in a hotel room, yeah. and it's just everybody in it is crazy. Yeah, if there was, like, an Arkham Asylum movie that didn't have any of, like, the Batman villains, it just had the crazy people from Gotham, this is pretty much what it would look like. Yeah, it's sleazy to the hilt. I mean, I think the first scene is uh, Robert England trying to convince a hooker to have butt sex. And you're like, oh, that's yeah, that how is, you yeah, start England. this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, yeah, how... 
how old was he at that point? Um, you know, I've seen him in a couple movies before this, but I'm going to guess probably about 26. Crazy. Yeah, it's, and, and this would actually spark a long-term friendship with him because he would do... God, there's some movies in there in the middle that are like uh, kind of rare. I haven't seen Night Terrors, which is about the Marquis de Sade. And Robert England starred in that. He was in The Mangler. He was in an episode of Masters of Horror, which is the worst episode of Masters of Horror. Have you watched that series? Uh, I've seen a couple. The one that I actually like is Cigarette Burns. That oh, yeah. Was, Definitely uh, the best. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. John, John Carpenter. Yeah. That one is haunting. It, it, I watched it with my sister, and she's like, I'm never, ever going to get over this film. I was like, oh, that's, that's actually praise right there. <laughs> it fucked me up yeah, forever. Yeah, his is yeah, so, lifeless. It's it's Robert England as a host, as cabaret in this post-apocalyptic world where everybody is dying of some sort of radiation disease, and they basically look around just killing people and fucking, and there's no plot, nothing. It doesn't go anywhere. It's it's the worst. So weird. Um, <laughs> anyway, I don't know if this movie is that much uh, different in the crazy department, though. I mean, it's just it's the the plot is basically what we just said: a crazy man feeds people to alligator. End of movie. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole plot. I think it's funny that in the trailer they post uh, Stuart Whitman. Like, at the time, he was a name. I mean, a minor name because he was a TV star. But he's only in the movie for maybe five minutes as a sheriff, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he was in it very briefly. Um, He didn't didn't add anything either. No, it's... It's a role that really could have been done by anybody. This is, and they do this even now. I've seen Stephen Lang's name pop up in these direct-to-video movies where clearly they gave him like $500,000 for two days' work just so they could put his name above the title. That is a rip-off, and I always wonder, what is it you need to spend? Like, oh, do you have a late mortgage and you need this movie? Because you should have planned better because your career is falling apart. Yeah. Like every going to be a Nick Cage situation. Maybe yep, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, um... I, I kind of like it more when Toby Hooper was kind of on the edge of A-list and B-list stuff. His, um, his, you know, his more well-known works, Salem's Lot, Funhouse, Poltergeist, you know, those were studio fairs, but there's nothing really strange and weird about them. They're just entertaining. I, I feel like this was also in the same vein as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's another kind of southern horror, but it also has the very almost uh, base guerrilla style uh, filmmaking and um, like the, the rawest of raw emotion of, of humans where it's almost nonverbal. Yeah, it hammers. It hammers any normal uh, behavior or, like you said, communication gone. It just hits you hard and it does not let up. That's, I know that sounds like an endorsement, though, but it's not. No, it's not in the same way. Now, okay, uh, I've seen all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, except for the one with, um, I don't think I've seen the one with Matthew McConaughey, The Next Generation. Oh, I, I, I saw that one. Is that any good? Actually, I own that I own that one. Okay. No, it's awful. Um, <laughs> you own it, but it's well, awful. <laughs> there's, well, I bought it before I watched it. I don't know why. I was in a, I, I had already bought like the first two I was like, oh my god, there's a third one with McConaughey. I gotta check this out. And yeah, it's not. Actually, that's the fourth one. The third one's really good. That's one of the first things I ever saw of Vigo Mortensen is he's one of the villains. Uh, who? Yeah, it's called Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Uh, wait a minute. I think, wait, that's the one with Vigo? Yeah. Oh, that's, okay, no, that's the one that I think I have. 
Okay, okay. Which third one? The, the third one is uh, has Kate Hodge in it. She's like traveling down a long road or whatever. It's it's almost the same plot in every single one of the movies. But uh, the fourth one is Renee Zellweger. Like prom night is uh, taken hostage by Matthew McConaughey and Leatherface, and Leatherface finds himself in drag at one time. And it's a really really low budget. I think I saw the one. Is that the one where they have the dude hanging upside down with the hammer contraption? With the sledgehammer that falls and breaks. Uh, I want to say that's three, but I can't remember. See, here's the thing is, I was going to say is, I've only ever seen every Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie once, except for part two. This, And I've seen it a few times, but uh, I have to say this last time, there was something that just got under my skin, and I actually was really annoyed, was um, stretches nonstop screaming. It just wouldn't stop. Oh, yeah. I was that's like, God damn, it I was just... just gonna... I was just gonna say, yeah. Any, pretty much, if any, if there's any problem with the movie, it's gonna be her. Yeah. There's times when she can act, and then there's just times where I clearly Toby was just like, oh yeah, just keep filming, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Keep screaming. I got this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is, uh, but that that is, but for me though, I have to say this is probably one of my favorite horror movies, d- despite some of the more annoying aspects of it. Well, let, let's pick it up you know with the plot after 12 years was it 12 years yeah 12 years you know and um horror had changed quite a bit over that time the dirty grindhouse kind of film had faded away and now you you have horror comedy coming about you know the the jason we start infusing some humor uh the freddy movies of course you know became huge and now horror movies are not only funny but they're also about mascots so they're really pushing Leatherface, but um, Chop Top is also pushed yeah. hard, and he's probably the most entertaining. Bill Mosley is just on fire in this film. Yeah, this is definitely one of his best uh, performances. You're my favorite! <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and despite how silly the movie is, there's also moments that can be genuinely terrifying. For instance, where uh, Bill Mosley... Uh, confronts uh stretch at night at at the uh at that um radio station uh, god what what radio station yeah, yeah radio station yeah where he's like like eating part of his head as he's talking to her oh right right the, well there's also uh the part where leatherface takes off um not lefty uh the cowboy that was her boss he yeah, takes he, he takes off the face yeah, whatever what's that yeah, I think his name is Lefty. No, that's Dennis Hopper's character. I'll look it up. But um, he takes okay. it off, and he keeps insisting that she keep it on, and she just holds it there, but she's shaking so bad, and she's crying. I just can't imagine, like, your coworker, uh, his face is now tore off and resting on your face, and you've got to keep it there. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this, this movie is just a collection of different ideas and uh, almost, like, comedy sketches just kind of combined into one big movie and it 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 suffers from it sometimes but it also makes it just so much better because there's always something cool right around the corner yeah you know like in what other movie you're gonna see leatherface fight dennis hopper with chainsaw yeah he's nuts in this movie it goes it goes crazy yeah I mean, the whole time he's basically yelling like uh, religious stuff as he's taken down yeah, their tunnels. Yeah, I, I am the Lord of the Harvest. <laughs> you have to get someone like Dennis Hopper in order to pull this movie off. Somebody who's a name but can go just full tilt. Like if it were today, it would be Nicolas Cage. Yeah, definitely. I don't. I, I don't actually, I don't know. I don't know anybody who could pull that off anymore. Yeah, he's about the closest I could think. But I think actors are now freer to loose, you know, loosen up. 
not be so stoic. You can be a, a, a bold hero or whatever you want to call it and be kind of nutty. Really? I feel like it's a lot more sanitizing. Well, I do know that horror movies, you know, it does seem like there's a wave of these fucking ghost PG-13 movies. And for a small chunk of time, we got kind of the Grizzly movie. And we can thank Rob Zombie for that. But Rob Zombie's going to thank Toby Hooper for that. Because clearly, House of a Thousand Corpses is an homage, a love letter to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, is uh, the whole Firefly Firefly family is based on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, I think it's on his second or third album where he uses sound clips like Dog Will Hunt. I remember that. I can't remember what song it is. But, he, he, you know, we used to quote this movie all the time, too. We watched it in high school, and we'd run up to each other, smack each other in the back of the head, and go, Incoming mail! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, definitely one of my favorite movies. I would highly recommend it. Um, what about you? Um, definitely. If you're going to watch any of them. Now, I actually do like the remake and the, the sequels to the remake. This is one of the few franchises where it gets remade and it still continues. Where, you know, like Jason and Freddy got remade. And irregardless whether they're crap or not, they both made money. And yet, there's been no continuation. But every few years, you get a new Texas Chainsaw. And we got another one coming up. It's kind of sitting around for a while. I don't know what's going on. But we do have another entry. So it's definitely something that... Uh, there's a fan following for a good reason. Yeah. I think that its simplicity is probably what helps it be able to live on so for so long. I mean, it basically is just... It's kind of like Evil Dead. I think I also think Evil Dead's one of those movies that can just live on for generations. It really... It's pretty simple, but it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. With horror movies, I think the more convoluted, more complicated, the worse it plays. Um, but I, I have this weird affinity for... Around 81, 82, till probably early 90s, there was a subgenre of what I would call cowpunk or um, uh, white trash kitsch, where you know they, they kind of make fun of like the Arizona, Texas outrageous lifestyle. You see a lot of it in like uh, the Pee Wee's Big Adventure and B52s. Yeah. You know they, they kind of pick up that kind of sense of humor. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, I think, the only horror movie to have that super black sense of humor and with with really good gory effects. Yeah, I, I remember I watched this with a friend of mine, um, and the the scene where uh, her or uh, her boss uh, was was it was in the the catacombs. Which, by the way, the catacombs is like one of the best sets. No kidding. Uh, yeah, amazing uh, looking. Any movie, it's fantastic. But anyway, he's in the catacombs, and he's got, like, sections of his body cut off. Oh, um, God, yeah. <laughs> he, he almost threw up. He had to leave the room. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know who did the facts. I thought it was Savini, but I can't find anything here, which means I did no research beforehand. Oops. Yeah, I got well, nothing. Maybe we'll put it in the description or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this movie is really controversial with horror fans. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I think it's grown over the years because the sensibility of horror movies has changed. I think that the, like you said, Evil Dead, the wacky and wild horror movies are the ones that really resonate and stick with you. Mm -hmm. And also, it's definitely worth noting that if you do pick up a copy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, I mean, the, the villains of the movie are doing the Breakfast Club yeah. stuff. You know, pose on the on the cover, so you you know you're going to be in for some crazy. Shit. Well, it also depends which version you get. There was a anniversary edition where it's just a chainsaw and it's really dark. Hopper. 
Yeah, I think it just says, you know... Oh, yeah. this... wasn't, the, wasn't there a cover with just Dennis Hopper? I think there was. Um, there's Then there's the uh, the new version from Shout Factory, which is the big painted cover. But you're right, the original one, um, it kind of shows you that it had tongue-in-cheek with it by doing their version of Breakfast Club. And the dad, I don't know who the dad is, but he amuses me to no end. And I thought Leatherface was fantastic. He doesn't say anything really, just grunts. But his eyes... Are, the way he uses them to react to stuff, he seems like just like a child who's always in trouble and he's always covering his bases. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. Remember the, this weird that weird tick thing he does where he'll just lift the chainsaw up and then he'll like jiggle his body around <laughs> like he's doing the truffle shuffle for some reason. That or he's trying to fuck with the. I think he was trying to fuck with the chainsaw. Oh yeah, he did. He he was sticking it into the 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 ice jug or whatever yeah the, the thing that she was that she was sitting on and he was like poking her and humping her with it it yeah, wasn't, I, I mean it wasn't turned on it wasn't that gory but i mean still no but you could really see him i think he kind of went he was like he stops for a second grabs his pants he's like uh-oh i, I gotta go <laughs> i'm embarrassed the uh yeah, the soundtrack it's, it's oh, go ahead. A... sorry no, no no go ahead uh the soundtrack is one of the first times i ever really experienced I didn't know what you call this music scene because I'm kind of stupid when it comes to music I don't know if this is like goth new wave but you know Oingo Boingo uh, this is the first time I'd ever heard a song of theirs that wasn't Weird Science and if you go back you look at forever yeah they're in so many movies and this is definitely a fantastic song but the whole soundtrack is really really good yeah the the opening uh, yeah it's Oingo Boingo Nobody Lives Forever I think it's called yeah where they're traveling down the highway with other faces, like the corpse draped on them. That is a great scene, by the way, because you don't know exactly. It, it, I had never seen another Texas Chainsaw Massacre before, and then you're just like, what the hell is going on? He shoots it, and he lowers that body and shows who he really is, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, like, the, the skull, like, fuck it, like, breaks, the neck breaks forward, and then you can see his face behind him. Yeah, that's that's probably, like, one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. I also like the fact that it was Toby Hooper's way of thumbing his nose at fucking yuppies. Yeah, the rich assholes going around shooting mailboxes. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was about. That was a great opening scene, though. The whole movie, it, 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 like you said, every single like every scene is completely different than the previous one. Yeah, it's always upping the ante, even until the very end with the like, like this weird thing that she'll be the next you know killer or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the fact that they're making all these structures out of bones, and you're you're going through the catacombs, and every single room seems to be different. They really took their time to whoever designed it did an amazing job. And then you're going outside up that hill, uh, up to Grandma, and I was like, man, this is just how did this only cost four million dollars? I feel like most of that budget went to the sets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the fucking creepy shrine with the chainsaw on it. Ugh. Though I have serious doubts it would work after all that time. No, there wouldn't. The oil would have dried up. The other thing that bugged me, and it's a minor thing, is you know when she's running through what looks like I can't tell what it was. Like it looked like it hollowed out dinosaur bones. You know, there's like you know the the mm-hmm. white pieces that she was running to because I, she didn't know Lefty was behind her trying to get to her. Or whatever, she kept running back and forth through them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And then she fell through. Why is there a trap door? What's the use? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, like, a video game level where there's just, like, really uh, obtuse design to it. It doesn't make any sense, but it's just there to look cool. Yeah. You know, they made a Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game back in the day. Uh, you mean the, the Atari one? Yep. 
But you think you think about the levels in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and that'd be like the perfect game. Yeah, whether or not you want to do that would actually be a, a fun like cooperative game. Like it, it kind of um, I think uh, Friday the Thirteenth really opened the door for horror type video games with the one they just recently did. Where yeah. You play online, and one person's Jason, everyone else is the kids. That's brilliant. You re- yeah, you could you could really do something with Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 with that. Yeah. You know, the original, actually all three of those games sucked ass. The Freddy movie, uh, the Freddy game for Nintendo, the, the Friday the 13th is definitely the shittiest. Texas Chainsaw Massacre suffers from the fact it was a very early Atari game where you really had no levels, and, you know, just basically going around and getting points by ripping people up with a chainsaw. And, and tripping over uh, wheelchairs. I did, oh, you're right. You know, I love the fact that it did uh, do a connection. Because a lot of horror movies are really stupid where it's not a universe. It's just basically, oh, this is a new entry. The entire cast is different. And if anybody survived the first movie, oh, uh, let's just kill them off. And I think that's yeah. a huge mistake. And especially, you know, especially when he runs into his brothers. Like, right, it was his brother that was in the wheelchair, correct? Yeah. That was heartbreaking. He, he Dennis Hopper really sold that scene. Yeah, I know. Dennis, yeah, I guess you're kind of right that Dennis Hopper and Nick Cage are really similar in that way, where like sometimes they'll just surprise you with an amazing performance that you don't expect and then just go crazy. Well, 86 was a big comeback year for Dennis Hopper. He had disappeared. Like He had only done a sporadic movie here or there because his drug habit was so bad. And then 86, he did uh, Blue Velvet, Hoosiers, mm-hmm. and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And all three of those performances are, are amazing, but the only safe one that the Academy would nominate him for was Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I miss him. Like, fucking Waterworld. I know people hate Waterworld. I know it's flawed, but god damn it, it's so much fun. No, I, I can't. No, that movie's too much for me. It's just boring. Oh, damn! Me. All right. Um, you know, we talked about doing uh, ending the season with uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, like breaking it up over two episodes. At some point, though, I would love to discuss the Jason movies because, yes, most of them are kind of like popcorn. You know, just terrible, just good for just a, um, you know, one of those, I'm just going to stay home and watch junk. But there's a couple gems yeah, in there. Yeah, that is also a series that I have seen every entry. All right, so I in think fact, that I actually I actually have a Jason Takes Manhattan poster. Fuck, that's actually how much I dug that. That's you like the eighth one? Okay, we're definitely discussing this. That is my least favorite. What? I, it is because they tell you Jason Takes Manhattan, and you, you, like the first fifty percent is uh, on a, a fucking boat with eight people because clearly they could cover the costs of running that ship with eight. Maybe that's nuts. It's, but once he gets to New York, man, technically Vancouver, it's great. Well, we, yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about that. Okay. So, um, I guess that's it for us here. Uh, check us out on Retro Rocket Entertainment for all the episodes of Trash Cinema. And, uh, Kersey, thank you for this episode. Yeah, thank you very much. And I'm going to end it with No One Lives Forever. Coming soon.
soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creep Show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream at ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Verrill. Creepshow will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. Oh, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creep Show. The most fun you'll ever have being scared. A man trapped by his own body. To Alan to the start of his new life. So you train monkeys exclusively for quadriplegics? How about if I were to donate a monkey? She hasn't been exposed to anything weird in the lab. No. An animal trained to follow commands. How am I supposed to take care of it, Jeff? The idea is that it's going to take care of you. She's unbelievable. She's like a miniature person. Get rid of that bird or so help me. One with the mind for revenge. I've been so full of anger. I've had the most horrible thoughts lately. I've made up a formulation based on human memory cells. I've been injecting one of my monkeys. I don't like this change in you, Alan. The other with the instinct to kill. What the hell are you doing to her? Ellen is getting out of the house, and I'm getting out with her. You do know that that's impossible. Man is the only animal capable of murder. Ellen, no! She did it for me. Did it because I wanted it done. Stop it! From the director of Night of the Living Dead, George A. Romero, the master of terror and suspense. You're not gonna hurt me. I'm part of you. Monkey shines a leap into terror. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Trash Cinema. Sadly, George Romero passed recently, and uh, we have decided to pick a couple of his movies to discuss. Now, before you lose your mind, Trash Cinema doesn't mean that we're going to rip it apart and insult it. These are just kind of movies that played grindhouses and drive-ins or were discovered on video. That's all this really is about. Some are bad, but we find some things to try to find. You know, like, oh, this had this good element, but some bad elements. You know, just kind of like... uh, Stuff that you would, when you're a kid, you know, you, you would watch with your friends, you know, those high school movie parties, those kind of films. It's kind of like trashy fun. I'm your host, Michael, and on the other side is Kersey. How's it going, Kersey? 
Hey, it's going great. How you doing? I apologize for the delay in this one. I moved recently, so I ate up a lot of time. And uh, so we are about a month since our last episode. But thank you, everybody, for the good notices on the Clive Barker episode. I actually enjoyed watching both films, and uh, I had fun watching these two as well. Yeah, me too. I actually have a weird association with Monkey Shines, and I have a lot of positive associations with uh, Creepshow. The... uh... We had originally discussed doing Night Riders in Monkey Shines, but I figured those two are so obscure that maybe people wouldn't listen to the episode. So you gotta gotta get a movie that people know, reel them in, and throw another one in. Kind of like it was with drive-ins. You know, you get the, the A feature, and then they threw in this trashy B feature uh, just to fill their booking. Yeah, uh, they've pretty much been doing that, that whole thing since probably since uh, cinema was even invented. Um, going back to like Phantom of the Creeps type stuff, you know, they'd always have the sort of uh, B horror type stuff to go along before you watch like the big feature. Yeah, Canon Pictures was the king of doing that in the '80s. They're like, oh, you want this A feature with uh, Sylvester Stallone? We're gonna take this crappy movie about ninjas and and you know, uh, <laughs> nobody knows who's in it, and mm-hmm. that, that's kind of died off now that there's hardly any drive-ins left, but. I figured the A feature, Creep Show. a lot of people have seen this one. This is, in my mind, a masterpiece uh, of his filmography. I, I know that people say Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead are his best, but I, I find Creep Show to be the most entertaining. I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, me too. That's actually one of my favorites as well. Uh, interesting to note, though, I think my favorite George A. Romero movie is probably Day of the Dead. You know, that's it's weird that the first two did so well, but the third one was rejected by critics, and it didn't really make that much of the box office. It was kind of strange to think that it was only, what, seven years later? And by then, people were like, nah, we're good. I feel that uh, some of its uh, political undertones were maybe a little too subtle for people at the time, or maybe even now, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I think that's the same year that Return of Living Dead came out, which kind of changed the zombie movie. It's kind of like a pulp comedy. Whereas Day of the Dead, like you said, George Romero's movies have always been kind of uh, straightforward. Meat and potatoes, because he's from Pittsburgh, and that's kind of how the atmosphere is. But always with like this underlying social commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a huge hippie, so it was a lot of... Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, the first movie, obviously, it was about racism, you know, stars, black guys, the hero, which is sort of a uh, new first time. And uh, second one was about you know, materialism. It takes place in a mall. But this one was a little more uh, a little more difficult to understand. Uh, so I think maybe a lot of people were kind of expecting something different. And it, it really did sort of it did take a much darker tone, which the other ones sort of had a little bit of levity to them. So maybe that's also why. And I think it's interesting that the remakes of his films have been pretty good. Usually horror remakes can be like a 50-50 shot, but uh, the Night of the Living Dead remake was pretty good in 1990. The Dawn of the Dead remake was good, and so was uh, The Crazies, which I really enjoyed, but I I didn't like the Day of the Dead remake. That was complete crap. Was that uh, by Tom Savini? Uh, The Night of the Living Dead one was. The 1991? Oh, I thought that he also did The Day of the Dead one. No, The Day of the Dead was um, Steve Miner, the guy who did Friday the 13th 2 and 3. Oh, well, the, right, well uh, which one should we talk about first? Uh, yeah, so Creepshow. Creepshow is right when, um, I would say he had a few bombs, and uh, he, I think, I can't remember if Martin is before Dawn of the Dead or not, 
Um, I know that did okay, but Knight Riders was kind of an expensive independent film that did not do well whatsoever. So he needed to come up with something, I think, that was really going to put him back into the mainstream. Plus, Stephen King was hotter than hot. I mean, that dude ruled the 80s, and they concocted this story, uh, actually a collection of stories, and it relaunched the anthology film throughout the 80s and early 90s, and it's the most entertaining of the bunch. Uh, I... Yeah, definitely. I think right up there, too, is probably a trilogy of terror, which I'd like to talk about at some point. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side, which some people consider to be Tales or uh, Creepshow 3, uh, I also find to be really entertaining. But this one this one had the money behind it. There's so much spent on great special effects. Uh, the fact that it looks like comic panels at times. It was a love letter to those old EC comic books. Uh, of their youth and I think by this time I think some nostalgia of the 50s and 60s was really rising up and they hit it at the perfect time Mm -hmm. yeah uh looking back at those uh old ones Tales from the Crypts uh was another uh one of those series that it was uh, heavily based on terror and uh I'm trying to remember (laughs) there's so many uh horror comics for a while but then of course the the scare came around they started like well no more comics about monsters and violence, it all has to be about aliens and uh, really nice, sweet crime fighters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was sort of uh, verging on the whole comic book code thing. Uh, I don't know, actually, I think it might have been uh, after that time of the comic book code. I can't remember. The Well, there was, uh, DC had House of Mystery and House of Secrets. There was, like you said, Tales from the Dark Side, or Tales from the Crypt. There was um, Vault of Horror, uh, The Haunt of Fear, and there's like a, a couple others out there that were really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting about this movie uh, is that it actually does have Stephen King in it, which, of course, was a huge selling point. And it also had, um, oh, man, well, well, uh, what's that comedian's name? I, Leslie so, Nielsen? Yes, Leslie Nielsen. I can't believe I forgot that. But what's really interesting is that the two styles from which they're known for are flipped. So you have Leslie Nielsen, who's known as a great comedic actor, playing a very serious role. And then you have Stephen King, who's known for like horror and um and drama, and he's playing a very comedic role. Yeah. It's kind well, of like an interesting swap, and then actually made it work. Too. But at this time, Leslie Nielsen was still considered a serious actor. He had only been in Airplane. After this is when he started to build up the comedic stuff. But until Naked Gun in 1988 came out, he was still considered a serious actor. So for you and me, we know him as Frank Drabin and all the silly characters, but to my parents and my grandparents, he was a serious actor. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, at this time, he was still considered kind of like a TV kind of villain. You know, if he was to appear in a, in a big-budget film, it was usually a small-budget film. And, of course, we see Ted Danson in a serious role as well, who's mostly known for comedy. Mm-hmm. He was the boyfriend in the water creature scene, right? Yes, and that's one of my favorites, too. I, I feel like they shouldn't have dipped into the zombie well too many times. The first story is zombies, and it's okay. I don't particularly think it's the strongest way to start a movie. but I, um, mean, visually, I think visually it's a great way, great one to start on. You know, I, I mean, yeah, I guess they probably should start with a really strong one, but I kind of like how, it's, how it like, starts to build. It almost has a swell to the movie. Where it kind of starts you off soft with really good visuals, so it kind of it kind of it gets your attention, and then uh, gives you the really good stuff as the further you go in. Yeah, I I think the last story is kind of weak as well. I've never cared for the bug one, but I think everything in the middle is fantastic. The crate probably being the best story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree, but I actually uh, really love the the bug one. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I, when it comes to me and body horror, uh, that I, I, for me, it just really grabs my imagination. So like the ending of that, of that, uh, that scene is also just so disturbing to me. And also I also, I, uh, struggled with, uh, with, with some, some compulsive, uh, behaviors. I, I excessively washed my hands. So like, I kind of had this laser focus on that scene cause I could relate to it a little more. Let me ask you: Does it come out about nervousness? Does that trigger the washing the hands? No, I, I'm just afraid of germs. Oh, I have a thing when I get nervous. And I used to do it all the time when I I was a kid, like in middle school. I used to check my fly to make sure it was up. And I've noticed that when I'm really stressed out, I tend to check it more often, and I can't seem to stop myself. It's really ridiculous. I'm like, five minutes ago, you just checked that. You know it's up. It didn't slide down on its own. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. Ah, uh, you did it again. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, for me, if I if I touch anything that's the least bit um, dusty or slimy, I immediately have to just wash my hands. And if I'm in the middle of washing my hands and I touch something else, I have to rewash them. Oh, I got that from retail <laughs> though. I uh, I had no problem when I worked for the Bullseye, but when I went to Buy Mart, all of a sudden, like you're surrounded by meth heads and old <laughs> gross people and you're just like uh constantly I, I find myself washing my hands like 30 times a day now to the point where my skin's like all dry and cracked i'm like oh so many gross people yeah my hands peel all the time especially winter uh when i was uh dishwashing i had to wear a three or four uh gloves on top of each other does it surprise you with this film that the sequel went to a, a, a much lower budget company when it was a big hit I, yeah, I was surprised. I started watching it, but I, I got bored, to be honest. The second one is, I think, okay, so the first one cost $8 million, The second one cost two, no, $3.5 million. And you can really see, A, it's got less story. And B, the star level is definitely lower, and the special effects pretty much suck. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm actually surprised that they were able to make all those uh, visuals and creatures with the $8 million. That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, they uh, had Tom Savini for the first one, and the second one, he is just the creeper. He he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't even do the makeup of the creeper, so it's kind of like, you feel like you're watching what would be considered like, oh, this is Creepshow 5, you know, way down the line once they're completely out of money, not Creepshow 2. I, I'm really surprised that Warner Brothers didn't pony up the cash for a sequel. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that, that probably could have been a, a, a decent running series, kind of like the... Uh, Halloween series kind of wanted to uh, diverge into just doing some different tales. Yeah, and it just it ended about as well too. The, uh, the Creep Show Three is not, in my mind, an official sequel. That is complete and absolute shit. No names. I have not seen it. Oh, dude, I have not seen painful. It. I do not plan on doing it. No. Uh, and it's surprising there hasn't been more Creep Show comics. I think there was one that was an adaptation of, it, and that was it. But it's. I feel like there's a there's got to be someone out there who wants to license the rights. I don't know. I feel like that genre is pretty much dead right now because, I mean, yeah, superheroes are sort of dominating the box office and um, comic book world right now. Yeah, but then you get The Walking Dead and The Goon, and those two are huge sellers, and those do well. I just thought maybe there'd be some sort, especially since Creepshow is a known IP, and that's all basically you see in independent comics is licensed titles. Um, I, I feel like there, there could be an audience for the revival of horror anthologies. Well, I mean, even Walking Dead is not even really horror anymore. I actually It's actually funny you mentioned that. I actually own the entire series in uh, 13 different volumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even have a, a German uh, volume just because uh, I was in Germany and I thought it would look really cool at the time. Yeah. It's, like a leather, it's like a leather-bound one. It looks really cool. So anyway. It, it, is the series they, over? I'm curious. Is it over? It's still going, but it's, oh. it's pretty bad now. Oh, I mean, boy. They, 
like the the all out war storyline was sort of where it hit its mark where like this is the best it's gonna get you know i had like that horror and also um like military strategy element to it because there's all these different warring factions mm-hmm. uh fighting for dominance and it was a really interesting and creative storyline and then once it ended it tried to continue and it, it just felt awkward and and terrible huh yeah i i stopped around volume five i believe and i just never made it back to it there's so much to read out there i i've decided to choose something else uh sorry we're off topic um second picture is monkey shines which i remember vividly at the time this being promoted um Right around the time of Phantasm 2, I remember reading, like, the Fangoria. I was a bad kid. I snuck to the grocery store saying I was going to get bread and, and maybe a comic book, and I would sit there and read Fangoria and Gore Zone, and they would show clips. There's not a lot of blood in Monkey Shines, but because it was George Romero, you know, they found it worthy of putting on the cover and doing a big article on it. Yeah, um, that, is, that is an interesting movie. I don't really know exactly how I feel about it, so uh, maybe you should start. Okay, so in, in this, it, uh, pretty much no names. I think John Pankow was the only thing uh, anybody, I mean, any person, I can't talk, the only person in this film that anybody maybe had seen in uh, To Live and Die in L.A., which was a minor hit. So pretty much a no-name cast, which George Romero tends to do. He usually picks uh, uh, blue-collar-looking people who you don't really know, therefore you don't know what's going to happen to the characters. I think it's a really smart decision. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's about this guy who's a hot rising athlete, and he is hit by a car, becomes crippled, and his friend decides that he's going to get him a helper monkey. But it's not just a normal helper monkey, it's an advanced monkey. Uh, what science has done? <laughs> it is the Christine of the animal world. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> um, Jason Begg, or I don't know how you say his name, uh... I can't tell if he's a bad actor or not. There's moments where he's he seems like he's terrible, and then sometimes he's really great. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier when I said I don't know how to feel about it, because one of the stronger and weaker moments of the movie is him, because there are times when you can you, you can you can feel the pain that he's in, uh, because of what happened to him, you know, it, someone getting crippled, being hit by a car, is so unfair, and it's just it's hard for anybody. So there's there's times when you can really empathize and feel what he's feeling, and then there's other times when he's so poor at acting that it kind of ruins the scene. Yeah, um, this was distributed by Orion Pictures, which they weren't one of the big studios, but it's officially a studio, which is weird for Romero because everything he had done up to that point, what, like six, seven movies, had all been completely independent. And this is the first time he's working for a studio. It feels different than the rest of his movies i don't see the social commentary i don't feel that um i almost like do-it-yourself quality that his films had it has more polish to it which is good and bad i think it's a little safe for him to make this movie yeah i don't there's not really this love of filmmaking that his other movies have or even if they're bad you can kind of you can see the passion that goes into what he does and you know like name anybody who's really into horror movies you know, they're going to give you the George A. Romero movies as their inspiration, but they're probably not going to give you this one. And I'm looking at this. It says they made him change the ending to a happier ending, but then when it tested poorly, they went and shot their own, like, shock ending, which isn't it, if I remember correctly, isn't it the monkey bursting out of someone's chest? Oh, man. Yeah, I think, that, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> which is ridiculous. It's been a... <laughs> what an alien dumbass ripoff thing to do. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Again, it, I don't know if I can necessarily recommend the movie. I mean, I, I guess I would. Just it's it's an interesting movie if you can kind of look past some of its flaws, and it does feel studio-ish. Yeah, the the only thing that bugs me about the movie is that it should have been shorter. I feel like once I'm fascinated by the actual the monkey learning everything and then showing off the abilities, and you can see that I can't remember the name of the damn monkey, Bella or something like that. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, what the hell's the name of the monkey? That doesn't matter. Does it, oh Ella? Um, you know that part was really interesting. But once they started doing the whole like there that telepathic bond between the two and going about on the vicious attacks, I got bored. It took so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it is kind of a... I, I guess you kind of need some of the time, though, to really cement that, because if it was just, you know... If it was only like a half hour of, of them, or like 20 minutes of them together, then all of a sudden the monkey's killing people, it wouldn't really make sense. Yeah, I, I, I just have very short attention span. There's a lot of monkey movies around this time. There's a horror movie by Richard Franklin called Link, which is actually pretty good. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. No, I haven't actually heard of it. Uh, there's Primal Rage, which is like uh, an Italian film where they experimented on these monkeys, so like mutants. And uh, there's Shockma, which is the true story of these monkeys that were starving and decided to just attack this village and destroy it. Um, and there's Project X, which is more serious, like NASA uses monkeys. It has Matthew Broderick in it. There's a reason. You ever notice it's that way in, in film? It always seems like these like clots of movies that are very similar. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Why, what goes yeah. on the mentality of that? Uh, I don't know. It's one manages to hit the mark, and then a bunch of people try to copy before people are tired of it. It's it. Um, it is also this is this is an interesting thing I actually learned uh, when I was at Comic Con, is that there actually is a cyclical nature of certain horror creatures. For instance, uh, vampires is, has an interesting history. Uh, depending on how good the stock market is doing, or how good the economy is doing in general, will determine what kind of vampire movies are out. So. <laughs> what they, what they, yeah, it's interesting. What they find is that in like uh, in slumps in the economy, they, they, there's a, almost a romantic, romanticizing vampires, and then when the economy is doing well, it's like vicious attacking vampires. Interesting. Now, yeah. does it make a difference between uh, gritty, grimy horror film or vampire films like uh, Near Dark, and then uh, the polished studio comedy vampire films like Lost Boys and Monster Squad? Ooh. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I've, to, my, to my knowledge, this could all just be a big coincidence. Yeah, it could be. Uh, we have we have time left, so um, real quickly, uh, have you seen the movies after Monkey Shines by George Romero? Uh, which ones? Well, we have The Dark Half, which sat on the shelf for two years and got dumped by Orion at the last minute. Hmm. No, I didn't see that. I think the only one I saw after that was Land of the Dead. There's Land of the Dead, there's Bruiser, which was a very small Canadian film that he made that is actually pretty interesting, but it's so out of his normal wheelhouse, the studio didn't know what to do with it, and they just dumped it. Huh. Yeah, is that, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, can you find it anywhere? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if it's out of print. I'll look that up for you, but Bruiser is a, is a pretty decent one. Jason Fleming from uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is the star of it. And um, who's the guy that was in Clown? The German guy. We always see him all the time, like at Fargo. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Uh, but he's the villain in that movie, and it's really good. Um, after that, though, he pretty much just did zombie movies. And I know that you can modify the genre any way you want to fit what social commentary you're trying to say, but I do feel like he went back way too many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I I actually did enjoy Land of the Dead. I still own it. Um, I mean, it's not one of the best, but it is pretty good. 
Uh, I actually enjoyed Survival, or not Survival, uh, Diary of the Dead. I never saw Survival of the Dead, and I think by then people had lost interest in him doing zombie films. I never saw Diary of the Dead. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over the found footage. Yeah, it it was fairly early on in that genre, but you know, if you were to watch it now, it would seem old hat. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some people who can make it interesting. I mean, Blair Witch obviously was one of the big pioneers, and then I think VHS uh, really took it to new lengths. But I haven't really seen any good ones since then. No, um, yeah, it's a genre that needed to die. If I remember they're trying to do the Jason movie as a found footage, I was like, please, God, don't, don't do that, don't do that. God, man. Ugh. The uh, the next episode we want to do. Anything in mind that you want to discuss? Uh, we should probably. I mean, uh, Piranhas, Piranha 3D. Oh, it's right. I forgot we're going to do those. Yeah, so the the Piranha films, if we can find all four, I'll try to get you links for them because it'd be nice to compare the four against each other. Um, so there's the original. There's the Showtime remake. There is... Oh, shit, there's five. I forgot there's that crappy Jim Cameron I got fired after three weeks of filming sequel, <laughs> The Flying Piranha. Oh, God. Uh, the Piranha remake and then Piranha 3 Double D or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that'll be our next episode, and I'm hoping before you go back that we get to do that episode about all the Friday, or uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, fuck yeah. Because I'm in the mood to watch yeah. them, and I got all, what, there's eight? Eight, yeah. I'm not counting that remake. We are not discussing the remake. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's not, that's oh. not us. Yeah, it's disgusting. Don't even try. Um, so that is it for us here at uh, Trash Cinema, and check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment, and Kersey, send us out. All right, stay trashy, kids. just the truth. If Nix is back from the dead, then he is some kind of a god. In a world where magic is real, death is the ultimate illusion. I was born to murder the world.
my wisdom. It's not real. Stop looking at me! You want to come with me, Dalmore? I've got so much power to give you. All you have to do is beg. Clive Barker's Lord of Illusions. What interests you? The city. Because no one's ever captured it. Not the way it really is. That's my goal. That's my dream. Then you're failing. The next time you find yourself at the heart of the city, stay put. Keep shooting. It began with a photograph. A single act. Of unthinkable evil. What happened? I saw it. Take your picture to the cops. I wasn't stalking her. But you did continue to photograph. represent missing people for the last three years the only way to make it stop i followed them into the subway he butchers them like cattle <laughs> they never find the remains because he unloads the meat somewhere just to go for the ride i got a train to catch is a thing that uh, kind of makes me a little uneasy. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm getting the feeling that my co-host, Kersey, is not specifically bothered by it like I am. All right, does Clive Barker get under your skin? Definitely, but in a good way. Um, I love the first two Hellraiser movies. I love the I love body horror in general, as we talked about in Clown. So Clive Barker is just right up my alley. It's weird. Cronenberg does not bother me, but something about Clive Barker, he's willing to go that extra mile and uh, Hellraiser, the first one, still to this day, digs in and messes me up. But he finds these little things that are very original in his stories that no one else is doing, where it, Stephen King takes the familiar and twists it into something horrifying. Clive Barker creates these worlds of stuff you've never witnessed, never even heard of before. And you got to respect the originality that comes from him, even if... None of his movies have really triggered into the mainstream. At best, Hellraiser's a, a strong cult following. Yes, definitely agree. Uh, I, I, yeah, the thing you said about Stephen King is on point. What he, his style of uh, writing very much takes you from the very mundane, very real, and then turn, and tries to just slowly twist the knife and uh, sort of absorb you into this new world in a way that Clive Barker doesn't. He more likes to just drop kick you into it and then <laughs> see you squirm. 
in general with the Hellraiser series, I feel like everything went to crap with part four. Since then, it's just been a disaster. Like someone thinks they're gonna come in, they're gonna steer in the right direction, and it never seems to get there again. Those first three, though, really well made, really shocking, but highly entertaining. And after that, not so much. How do you feel about Nightbreed? Sorry, what? Sorry, you're, you're breaking up a little bit. Sorry, Nightbreed. How do you feel about Nightbreed? About Nightbreed? No, Nightbreed. Nightbreed? <laughs> yes. Sorry, the connection just got really bad for a minute. Uh, Nightbreed. I don't think I've seen that one. What? Oh my God! This yeah. is his. This is his uh, almost like superhero world of horror, where uh, I mean he was even a comic book for years. So was Hellraiser uh, for years with Marvel, and mm-hmm. you know this is when he's at his pinnacle of popularity. Even though Nightbreed wasn't very successful, those two movies developed huge cult followings. So he's going to follow it up with something. I think in his mind he saw as being more mainstream, more accessible, Lord of Illusions, which is our first film we're going to discuss. Do you feel that it's an attempt to go more mainstream? Do I feel that uh, Lord of Illusions is more mainstream? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It was actually interesting. Uh, both movies, uh, I felt, suffered the same problems where they had really good ideas and uh, just like just almost made it for me. Like They, they were just so close to being, to being good. It, it, I mean... I both I like both of them, but both of them had like this um, this feeling of like it's not quite right. There's something a little off about it. Yeah, I remember we went and saw this opening weekend in a very very empty movie theater, and I was just sitting there going, ah, it's got elements I really like about it, but I wasn't mature enough to enjoy the uh, the, de- the detective qualities of it. Whereas my roommate, he had been a Clive Barker fan. He had all the books. And he really got into it. He knew the characters because I guess um, De La Moore is one of Clive Barker's like reoccurring characters. He was really into it, and he said it captured uh, the book really well. And I was just like, ah, okay, sure, cool. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with him uh, uh, in spirit. I don't I haven't re- really read the books, but um, there 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 is something sort of endearing about Lord of Illusions that I, I if. I don't know if I was sort of a savvy new uh, up-and-coming studio, I would want to remake that. I think that it, it has a lot of potential. Sad part is studios only remake movies that were successful. This was planned to be a big Labor Day weekend kind of movie, and the, the prophecy opened up with Christopher Walken and stole all its thunder. Oh my god! Have you seen that, that movie? Dude, Prophecy is, is so good. It is it's amazing. I even watched the second and third one. I'm like, yeah, this is still pretty entertaining. It's four and five that throw me off. I'm like, eh, nah. I didn't even know it went up to five. Jesus. Yeah. Four and five, they ditch the whole story with Christopher Walken. They start over again. Uh, much lower budget, shot in Romania. And uh, four and five are concurrently shot together, so the stories are interlinked. They're okay, but they're just, it doesn't feel like part of the main story. What even happened? Like, the reason why, because I knew there was at least three sequels with Christopher Walken, or at least there were three movies with Christopher Walken. Um, what did they even do? I mean, because it, the first movie was just such a well-rounded movie with a, a completed story arc. That what, where did they even go? Uh, four and five, Jason Scott Lee takes over as the lead, and he's hunting down uh, the other side, which I think Sean Pertwee is the villain. Uh, I don't remember anything else. I literally remember nothing else. They're trying to build a whole new war between the two, and I didn't get. I didn't care. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's I don't know how you take a movie like that and just 
stretch it out that far. Yeah, well, if it makes money, studios are going to make sequels. I mean, why why is it Children of the Corn has made it to eight? Eight sequels. That's insane. Yeah, you got me there. I mean, I the, the first time I saw Prophecy, I was probably like six or seven. Um, yeah, that, that was like my first rated R movie. That movie blew my mind when I was a kid. So this movie set records for Labor Day weekend and uh, it blew away Lord of Illusions. Lord of Illusions wasn't going to be a big hit anyway because it came out the week before and people were kind of meh to it. But then Prophecy is the one that everybody was talking about and Lord of Illusions just kind of slinkered off and disappeared until it came out on video where it found an audience. But never really, like, I think the audience said they thought it was, you know, it wasn't going to become a cult favorite. The character of Harry Damore never became like a thing later except in the comic books. So I, it was probably a huge disappointment from United Artists and Clive Barker, and frankly, Scott Bakula needed something to get him out of the TV world. Yeah, ironically enough, actually, I was thinking that that, that might make a good TV series. Yeah. It, like, when you think about it, there's so many characters in this, and they, didn't, they only just skimmed the surface of this cult that's going on, that it could be really interesting to see more about its history. Yeah, I don't know if in the books that he goes further into that storyline or he does more supernatural crimes because I know he reoccurs in some other stories. And he takes on Hellraiser, I think, in um, a recent book that Clive Barker wrote, like Books of Blood 20 or something. But uh, you're right. It does play out more like a, t a very expensive TV movie. Yeah, yeah. The special effects are fantastic except for the early CGI, but it was 95 and all of a sudden every horror movie had to have some sort of CGI sequence, which automatically dates it. Yeah, I mean you can't. You have to look past it. You kind of you can't judge it. I, I'm usually pretty good about you know looking past crappy CGI for its day, especially when it's starting out. The only movie I can't look past is bad CGI is um, Escape from L.A. Those oh are yeah, absolute the worst I've ever seen. Well, he, the problem is, is that's a fifty million dollar movie. How does it have such shitty effects for fifty? If you said it was fifteen, I would go, eh, all right, I, I can see that. But no, that much money, they should have got the uh, the helicopter sequence is the worst. They should have got that, that right. That looks like out of a video game. How terrible that helicopter was! It, it just it, it was. I you know, John Carpenter is a, is one of the best directors out there, but he's just so used to practical effects. I guess he doesn't know how to shoot for special effects. Yeah. Um, that's a whole episode in itself. Escape from L.A. is... F I, I love it, but I also am so frustrated by it. Oh, dude, I love that movie, too, but that's just that. Just those scenes I can't stand. <laughs> uh, Lord of Illusions has an excellent actor in there named Daniel Von Bargen, who you might also know from Thinner or Super Troopers or even Malcolm in the Middle. I think he's great as Nix, even though he's barely in the movie. Oh, boy, which one was Nick? He was the, the black-haired kid in the beginning and came back in the end, right? Nope. No, Nick's is the main wow. villain. Oh, the main villain. Oh? Yeah, I'm saying, yeah, he's the main villain, and, you know, he's the one at the very beginning that they put in the the, the facial clasp and kill him, and then they bring him back at the end. Hmm. I don't remember him in, in Malcolm in the Middle. That's weird. Yeah, he was, uh, the first couple seasons, he was, like, their drill sergeant of the oldest brother. He uh, he was reoccurring for a while. He had an eye patch and a claw. <laughs> Oh, oh, that was him? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, I, I guess because they burned his face almost immediately or they put it behind that mask. Yeah. There is a weird thing in this movie, and I don't think they've ever mentioned it anywhere, but, okay, so in the very beginning of the film, which it looks like it takes place around, like, 77, 78, um, there is a guy with a one white eyebrow, and his eye is kind of white as well, and he returns in the movie, but here's the thing. It's a different actor, completely different actor, and no one says anything like, oh, that's his son, or, uh... 
he had some sort of facial reconstructive surgery. Clearly different actor. Did you notice this? Uh, no, I didn't even know that was a different. I thought that was a different character. Nope, same character, different actor, and they just like pretend like it never happened. You're like, well, hold on, I know who that first actor is. Who the hell's the second guy? <laughs> well, that's weird. Because shit changes in like ten years. Cult movies were a small like mini genre around this time. I think my favorite one's probably Bad Dreams. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. What was it called? Bad Dreams. No, I don't think I have. This guy sets himself on fire. He's this big part of the uh, big cult or whatever, and he comes back from the dead to get revenge on whoever survived. Uh, there's a movie Popcorn where it's also kind of like there's a cult element to it. Those movies unnerve me because if you look at the current administration, there's a cult mentality around that where I feel like there's a percentage of people who would do anything someone with enough power tells them to do without even thinking about it because they're broken inside or they just can't think for themselves. Cults, cult mentality is terrifying. Yeah, that's actually something that I was really interested in in high school. I still am, actually. I still buy books about it, uh, of cult mentality, because I've always wondered how people can, can buy into such weird things. And that's what's interesting about cult movies, that not a lot of cult movies can do it well. This one was okay, but there was some stuff in it that was a little... A little wonky. Do you remember at the end when they were, when uh, the villain was like sucking everybody into the earth, and then that yeah, guy yeah. Was like, fuck you, and flips off the villain. It just it just felt wrong, you know. Yeah, give I us what like we want. I felt like it would have been. I felt like it would have been creepier if they like accepted their death, you know. Yeah, I thought they were gonna official. welcome it. Yeah, I thought they were going to open up with Welcome Art. You know, like, I, okay, because if you look at the history of cults, uh, at Jonestown, you know, these people drinking all the Kool-Aid and all died, you know, and I think most of them did it willingly. Or that yeah, hell... Yeah, most, most cults that, in, that involve suicide usually do it willingly. Yeah, you remember the hail bop? Say what? The hail bop cult, the ones that cut off their penises and then drank, like, some sort of liquid and they died in their beds. They thought they were going to take off with the hail bop comet? Uh, oh, yeah, Haley's comet? No, it was hail bop. It's a whole different comet whole different one jesus yeah no i didn't hear about that one yeah that's a crazy one and then i remember there was a cult i live in indiana where there's a lot of crazy bored people and they start things like i don't know the clan uh you know uh satanic cults and more than once what i hear stories about like satanic cults or somebody like chopping off their penis and giving it to the, the star gods or whatever lunatic thing that they would uh would pop in their heads and that is terrifying that's just i can't even wrap my head around it yeah, that's always that's like one of the the darker parts of humanity. That's just so so interesting that you can't turn away. You can't really look away from it. And now you know uh, they're making the Charles Manson movie, which I know they've made a few before, but Quentin Tarantino behind it should really be interesting because he rarely ever takes on anything that's actually happened in real life. Right. That's I was I was really thrown back by that. I thought for sure it's like this is you know we're definitely going to get a. A, another Kill Bill. I think that might be his last one because I think he wants to do ten, so he's up to nine now. Yeah, they're gonna call it but, Kill yeah. Kill Charlie. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, man. That's gonna be a weird movie. Man, I have mania. no idea what to expect. Yeah, uh, if they they gotta get somebody who has that that mentality. There was a movie back in the seventies about Manson with Steve Railsback, and he's phenomenal in it. It's truly terrifying. But it seems like ever since then they always cast like these good-looking guys who's they're. Uh, uh, like uh, kind of endearing qualities. I'm like, no, that dude was batshit crazy, and somehow he just convinced other people to do stupid things for him. Yeah. So on the whole, would you consider Lord of Illusions a quality film, something you would recommend or watch again? Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I, I'd probably watch it again if my friends wanted to watch it. 
Yeah, I actually enjoyed it more this time around because I was more mature. The trailer sells it as kind of like this fast-paced kind of action elements in with the horror. And then you sat in the theater going, there's a lot of pensive stuff going on here. A lot of uh, dialogue. Come on, come on. I was 18, so I have no I have no attention span. Yeah. <laughs> Our second film is the one that you recommended, Midnight Meat Train, which um, it reminds me of this old 70s British film called Raw Meat with Donald Pleasance. And uh, I don't think it's intended as a homage. It's just kind of coincidental. But you said an, a, a chud element. And I kept watching the movie going, when is this going to happen? And then all of a sudden, like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Midnight Meat Train is another one of my, you know, scraping the bottom of the Netflix barrel sort of things. Um, it, it, it's a, I don't know how to describe this movie. It's, I don't know if you liked it. I loved it. Oh, I thought it was great. It, it, it has like so much, it has these weird elements to it that it just keeps kind of piling one on top of the other and then doesn't stop until the end. What it does right is I've noticed this in a lot of uh, really great horror movies. The the movies that I think in horror and sci-fi that really stick out isn't the ones with the huge A-list stars and massive budgets. It's also not the kind of lower grade ones with actors who are kind of past their prime. They're like, well, maybe I can do a genre film, get some attention there. I like the movies that grab actors that are just under the radar, you know, just about to break through. I think one of the greatest uh, movies of all time is Tremors. You got Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon, not A-listers, not B-listers, but they're not like direct-to-video kind of guys. They're just really solid actors, had a minor following, and studio said, sure, cast those two guys, and they give it everything they have. The same with this film. Bradley Cooper and Leslie Bibb, kind of under the radar. This is before Bradley Cooper broke out, and they really just nailed this movie. Yeah, agreed. I I, uh, I really enjoyed the horror elements of it, and I really think that Bradley Cooper uh, played a, uh, did really well in sort of walking that line of, of being really determined but also being um, very yeah, nervous at the same time. Yeah, the element of when he uh, goes after those guys on the, the subway staircase, and he's, like, taking their picture, taking their picture, but he knows when to stop. He's like, look, security camera, don't you even take another step. And they're like, ah, crap. But you can see him kind of, like, shaking and sweating. Yeah, that was uh, that was probably my favorite scene. The uh, Vinnie Jones is the villain. Well, one of the villains. But it's funny, as you discover more of the story, it, it, a great story, by the way, it is another mystery film. And it takes a while for you to understand what is going on, and they slowly get these bits and pieces out. And you realize Vinnie Jones may not exactly be the huge villain that you think he is. There, there's other things going on. There's bigger villains than him. And uh, even though he doesn't say a word, he's really good as a villain, too. It's also one of those movies that kind of shows you who the villain is in the beginning, but it doesn't really. It takes you a few minutes to understand what's going on in some of the. Uh, symbolism that's going on throughout the movie and then you can kind of pick it up from there. Yeah, Clive Barker only wrote this one. He did not direct it. This is from the director of Versus and Godzilla Final Wars and about 30 other movies, but those are the only two that I've seen. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Uh, another, another movie where the CG did not work out too well in its favor. No, um, it's it's a lot of... It's yeah, a some of the, the, the blood effects of the, swing, of the guy when he would swing the hammer hit somebody looked really bad. Yeah, the blood would explode in like a digital kind of 300 way, and the eyeball would fly out. And you're like, oh, well, that's cool, but that looked stupid also at the same time. Yeah, but when they do use uh, you know practical effects for like you know the hanging bodies in the subway, um, th- those were really good effects. Yeah, this movie's wet. I mean, there's blood 
everywhere. Unlike Lord of Illusions, which isn't a gore fest, this is a fairly disgusting film, but not so much that you're like, this is almost feels wrong. It's just kind of a gorehound film. Yeah, it kind of walks that line of, you know, grindhouse sort of uh, blood and guts and also mystery. I think the film is very well shot. It it has a very particular style to it, and it looks better than it should for such a low-budget, like you said, grindhouse film. Definitely. I would say recommend on this one. I don't want to go into too much on the stories because, you know, you can look at a trailer, you can see reviews on it. I also don't like giving away a whole lot, even though I did say the stupid Chud thing, but, you know, you said it to me and I still couldn't figure it out for a while. Um, but I highly recommend this film because it is such a jolt to the system, but it's also really well made, really entertaining, and the acting's great for this style of film. Yeah, and if you're a fan of Bradley Cooper, you might as well. You know, check out, check it out and see what he was doing before he got famous. Yeah, it's right before Hangover, so he has some heat on him, so therefore, you know, Lionsgate's going to give him a $10 million movie. But he's a guy who surprises me because he looks like the kind of guy who could phone it in, doing the same kind of role over and over and over. But he does this really surprising stuff here and there. He'll do the, uh, the Wet Hot American Summer stuff. And uh, he did, of course, Rocket Raccoon, which sounds nothing like him, which is surprising. Wait, um, you're saying you liked his performance as Ragged Raccoon in the second one? I love it. I No, I just love it, period, because um, I cannot tell it's him in any way whatsoever. I agree on that, but this might be a, this was a whole other can of worms, but I hated the second Guardians of the Galaxy. I had serious issues with the second one, too. I was like, don't tear them apart. Don't make them go off in different directions. Uh, the jokes are terrible. They don't make it. Yeah. You know, they're not funny. And, and Drax is turned into basically an idiot, and it went on too long. But I love Kurt Russell. I love the idea of Ego, the living planet, because it's such a high-minded, complicated idea instead of your normal villain. Um, I don't understand the thing with giant movies where, hey, you could shoot this thing four times and be done. Oh, there's or you know, like the six bad guys, just get it done. But no, it goes on for like a half hour, over and over. It's every Marvel movie is like this now, where it's like, you know, you could have taken on. Mm, say 10 really really strong ultrons but no you gotta take on 400 and it just it's it's a mess yeah at this point marvel is really losing me uh i did however see the new spider-man movie and they, they redeemed themselves a little bit so I, I'm, I'm i'm gonna watch ragnarok and see if uh, i can uh, stomach another one i really enjoyed enjoyed doctor strange even though there's that stupid wi-fi joke which took me out of it immediately but um it was a unique idea, and it was done by a director who I didn't think could pull it off. So I think a lot of it's because I had low standards. If I watch it again, maybe I won't like it as much. But uh, Marvel's doing some good stuff over there. They just need to curb how long these damn movies are going. Yeah, actually, you know what? I also love Doctor Strange. I think that there's what sets it apart. Now we're, now we're on this subject. But uh, just really quickly, um, what I really love about that movie is that they've spent so much time uh, doing like, you know, like the usual superhero beat up the bad guy thing and you know, like you know everyone's expendable but i like that they spent a little more time in dr strange uh talking you know like giving some weight to uh the times that dr strange had to kill somebody and yeah. that was like weighing heavy on his mind uh unlike the guy who's smashing people's heads in <laughs> in midnight meat trade it has an ending that is truly horrifying i mean it knows what it means you know the word horror uh, it dives right into it because it does not have a happy ending. It has an understandably satisfied ending in the fact that it all makes sense, but boy, at the end, you're kind of like, I need a shower. I feel horrible. <laughs> all right, fair enough. 
Uh, I guess that's it here for us at Trash Cinema. Anything you want to say before we go? Uh, yeah. Uh, in, in light of uh, George A. Romero's recent passing, I was wondering if we could maybe just do like a, a, a short special or something devoted to him, just watch maybe some of his more underrated movies. Yeah, I uh, we have Dark Half, we have Monkey Shines. Um, I, I was just saying that. I was just saying that <laughs> to my girlfriend um, that I really wanted to do that one. Okay, well let's just do those two. Uh, I was gonna say the other ones. I'm trying to think. So he did, he did Dawn of the Dead. There's Martin. There's the Crazies. Creep Show. Creep Show. I have Creep Show. You know that yeah, sounds good. Too. You want to do Creep Show and Monkey Shines? Do Creep Show and Monkey Shines? Yeah. That sounds good to me. All right, that's our next episode. Creep show, monkey shines. Boom, boom. That's how we do it. This is how we do it. Sorry. All right, send us out. What? Go ahead, send us out. Say goodbye. Hey, do you have a do you have a slogan? We don't have a, we don't have a slogan for trash cinema. Do I have a slogan? Sorry, you're cutting out again. Yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. I'll do it. Uh, hey, kids, stay trashy. <laughs> that sucked. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> keep your feet in the gore and you keep your eyes up in the sky. <laughs> I'm going to stop now. See ya.